This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode number two of Let's Get Real on Film Geek Radio. I'm your host, Andrew Johnson. This is the show where I talk with filmmakers, producers, actors, writers, and other people in the film industry about their work. My guest this episode is Chris Metzler. He is the co-director of the new documentary film Everyday Sunshine, the story of Fishbone, which is currently playing in limited release. This is not his first feature film. He's made some documentaries in the past, and he's got a really interesting story. He's worked on some B-level horror films, and he's also been heavily involved in the music video scene. He's uh, worked in uh, Nashville and directed some Christian rock music videos, so we'll be sure to talk about that. Now, I have to tell you, dear listeners, I am not a music person. I'm not an expert. It's not really my thing. It's not my passion. You know, I, I enjoy classic rock, but most of the time I couldn't tell you who sings what song on the radio. That's just not really my area. So I had not heard of Fishbone, which is the band explored in this documentary. I did some research and discovered that they were a band that came out of L.A. in the late 1960s slash early 1970s. They were founded by uh, Angelo Moore and Norwood Fisher. Uh, they, they founded the band pretty much straight out of high school, and their music was sort of a mixture of ska and punk. Now, if you're really into music, you're probably yelling at me right now that that's not it at all, and you're probably right. But I'm trying to place the genre in as simplistic terms as possible so that I and the people like me who aren't really that into music can get it. So anyways, they, they, they you know, they played this kind of mixture of ska and punk and, and they basically explode onto the music scene. It's this group of black kids playing the type of music that had until then primarily been associated with white groups and they uh, shook things up. They've influenced a lot of people, and there's a lot of really interesting interviews with musicians in the film. Uh, Gwen Stefani, Ice-T, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, lots of bands that I actually have heard of. So why is Chris on the show today if I'm not really into music? Well, it's like I said in our premiere episode with Jim Whitaker. I only invite people on the show if I like their work. And I saw Everyday Sunshine, and I liked it. it. It drew me in. It's got some interesting animated segments, and it's narrated by Morpheus himself, Lawrence Fishburne. So that's a plus. And the cool thing about this movie is that it's not a concert film, and it's not just a historical documentary. Yes, there are scenes of Fishbone concerts. Yes, there is background information about how they got started and why they were so influential. And that that's all handled really well. But not only does the movie do that, it also serves as an interesting look at a band that should have been huge and did achieve some fame, but never really, you know, became superstars and gradually started to fade away. And that idea of fame and how sometimes the best artists don't really get noticed by mainstream audiences, that, that's pretty interesting to me. So that's why I wanted to talk to Chris and have him on the show. 
So uh, I gave him a call. We had a good conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. And if Everyday Sunshine is playing in your area, you should consider going to see it because it's a pretty good movie. But uh, that's that'll do it for my basic introduction for the show today. So without further ado, let's get real with Chris Metzler. All right, I am joined today by Chris Metzler. He is the co-director of the new documentary film Everyday Sunshine, the story of Fishbone. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing pretty good. Just came off a successful weekend here um, with our Los Angeles theatrical opening, so just kind of resting a little bit today. Well, I know that you've been uh, doing the festival run for a while now, and you must be pretty excited to finally have it open in L.A. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you first start a documentary film, um, obviously your hope is that uh, wind up on TV and on DVD, et cetera. But in reality, a theatrical run is always the aspiration just because, you know, it's a way to kind of get different people to kind of share the film the way that you imagined it. And not only that, you get to do Q&As afterwards, and it kind of in a way becomes like a live director's commentary in the sense that you get to answer all the questions that maybe you didn't quite uh, get a fully answer in the film. To start out, I just wanted to ask you, um, how did you get started in filmmaking? Because I know you've got kind of an interesting background, and now you work a lot in uh, with music videos, and you've been involved in the Christian rock community. So it, it's, it seems clear that you've got a passion for music as well as film. So how did that all get started? You know, my kind of way into the world of filmmaking is a little bit kind of serendipitous like everything, cause, but... You know, what it comes down to is I just am curious uh, about so many things in the world, and filmmaking allowed me to kind of learn about everything, because each project, it's kind of like you're starting over again and getting to learn about a new topic or story or character. And so I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and I came up to um, Los Angeles to go to school at USC. Um, Coincidentally enough, I was going to school there for business, not so much film, as I wanted to be in advertising. And uh, within a semester or two, I quickly realized that what I was imagining with advertising was actually um, kind of filmmaking and storytelling. And so um, entered the film school there and was uh, going back and forth between classes and business and cinema and started making uh, films with friends and then also as classes. Uh, back in those days, it was on you know, black and white, silent, super eight. And um, when I graduated from USC, I had an opportunity uh, to start making uh, music videos, um, weirdly enough, in the country western music industry and contemporary Christian. And, um, you know, those were kind of neat ways to continue doing kind of short kind of narrative and experimental filmmaking. And, you know, during my time in Los Angeles, I worked all the kind of regular kind of film industry jobs, whether it be, you know, a gopher driving around the city to being an agent and manager's assistant to um, editing and shooting and being a post-production manager for these kind of awful American movies that you see late at night on TV and other parts of the world, but they wouldn't dare show on TV here in the U.S. Um, and all those things... Yeah, can, you, were, can, you, can you tell us an, an example of any well, of those films? The, the two that always kind of stand in mind, one was called Marabunta, uh, which is about giant ants um, that lived in Washington State and were eating campers. And another one was about uh, a lesbian serial killer. The, re- the lesbian serial killer genre seemed to be very popular. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, it was usually an older woman lesbian that was upset about some other young girl that was dating some hot guy, and then she would start killing um, this girl's lovers. Yeah, it was absolutely bizarre. But, you know, you learn a lot, and you're given opportunities to try different things out. So that makes it fun. So what led you to decide not to become, you know, a big B-movie horror director? 
<laughs> Not that didn't cross through my mind. Actually, I had a friend that continued to work there after I left um, that uh, went on to kind of direct some of these films. You know, it's a hard thing to pass up because when someone's saying, hey, look, we're going to give you, you know, a couple million dollar budget to do these films, and, you know, in reality, kind of rewrite the scripts in the ways that you imagine might be both uh, entertaining and also artistically successful, it's hard to give up. But uh, to be honest, I've never worked at any of these filmmaking jobs more than, you know, nine months to a year because I was always pursuing projects um, outside of them. And I took these jobs, um, you know, to pay the bills and then also meet people and also just kind of have a good time learning, you know, because when you start a new job in the filmmaking industry, there's that kind of, you know, that learning curve. And so there's a lot that you can learn in that first year. And I guess my entrepreneurial side always kicked in and I'd, you know, work 50, 60 hours a day at that job and I'd come home and you know, write screenplays or do research and come up with ideas, et cetera. And it was all about like, okay, how can I make things happen independently? And it just so happened that um, technology and other opportunities kind of merged together to create that to happen in the sense that, um, you know, documentary filmmaking in the late 90s, early 2000s kind of became the real realm for independent filmmaking in the sense that you could get equipment uh, fairly affordable, um, documentary film, you know, you can kind of hook up with a friend or two and become a two or three man band team and hit the road and you're working with real people. And um, as long as you have the time and you put forth the effort, you can kind of craft a story. Well, I, I mean, you ended up getting involved in the, the Nashville music scene and as well within in the Christian rock scene. Are you, are you a big fan of Christian and country music or is that just sort of how it ended up? <laughs> Uh, well, I guess with like a lot of things, you kind of pursue the opportunities that you're given. Um, no, uh, actually, I don't think I'd listened to any con- contemporary Christian music before um, went out and uh, made any of these music videos. Um, I do have to confess that sometimes when I drive on the five late at night, I do turn on the contemporary Christian music scene, uh, music radio, and just kind of listen to like, hey, what's going on now? But um, I wasn't part of that community and not part of that community now. It just so happened um, at the time that um, was kind of breaking out as a kind of music video director and uh, the contemporary Christian music scene wanted to go a little bit more mainstream and kind of work with directors that could kind of give them credibility within the rock industry. And so, um, you know, myself and uh, filmmaking partner Jeff Springer uh, were given opportunities to make these um, these videos and, um, you know, strangely enough, the music actually was a lot better than you could ever imagine. Well, before we talk about Everyday Sunshine, I, I, you know, I have to ask, are any of your th- those music videos available for our listeners to see online? You know, <laughs> is, is there any, any video in particular that you're, that, that you're really proud of and that you, you would like our listeners to check out from, from your music video directing days? Yeah, I'd say that there's a... A song called Consuming Fire by a band called Third Day, um, which at the time were kind of a, a kind of a, um, they were a smaller band at the time, but now they're huge within the Christian industry. And um, this um, music video um, was shot down at the Salton Sea, which where um, I later shot a documentary at. And uh, it's basically a post-apocalyptic music video about God, you know, having his wrath on the world. And, uh, it's a little bit bizarre and surreal and, um, you know, I think kind of beautifully photographed. And so that's the one to go put on YouTube and tell me what you guys think. <laughs> All right. Well, you mentioned that you had filmed this documentary um, about the Salton Sea. Now, y- y- you directed the films um, Long Division, The Next Big Threat to Democracy, 
and then you moved on to do uh, Plagues and Pleasures on the Salt and Sea. How do you go from those two films to Everyday Sunshine, the story of Fishbone? It's, they, they, they seem like completely different films. You know what's weird is that when you're working on it, they never really seem as dissimilar as they do kind of from the outside. But I understand why they would seem so strange. Um, I think that's also particularly true with music documentaries is that, you know, music documentaries um, are wonderful in some ways because you have this built-in audience, you know, fans of the band, you know. Um, but they also kind of are, you know, difficult because it's like how do you market this film kind of outside the box to say, hey, look, it's something that's, you know, more than just for fans or, um, you know, you don't have to like the music to enjoy the film. And I think the thing that links um, both um, Everyday Sunshine, the story of Fishbone documentary, and the Plagues and Pleasures on the Salt and Sea documentary and other projects they've done is that, you know, there are a lot of stories about, um, you know, characters living on the margins, you know, outsiders, people doing something differently. And um, the kind of, you know, the price that you pay for kind of, doing something outside the norm. And um, they're all a little bit offbeat and quirky, and that's usually something I think that you find a lot in my work. Well, I know that um, when you approached uh, Norwood Fisher and Angelo Moore from Fishbone to, to discuss um, and to pitch the idea of making the film to them, um, they were a bit skeptical at first, and then you ended up showing them your, your documentary on the Salton Sea. Do you think that that aspect of it being about sort of outsiders, do you think that's what allowed them to, to bring you on board, or do you think there was it something else that they um, connected with? I mean, what was it that you think inspired them to, to give you a chance? Well, I mean, I think seeing the Southern Sea documentary definitely helped, because they basically saw it and said, well, you're a little bit weird. Maybe if you're this weird, maybe you might get fishbone. I mean, that definitely kind of influenced things. But I think the other thing about it is, is that they just kind of saw us as artists in the sense that they're like, hey, look, here's these guys, these filmmakers. They want to do an art project that just so happens to be about us. And um, we want, wouldn't want anybody saying no to us and our creative endeavors um, when we're making you know, our albums and records. So let's give the guys a shot and see what happens. I mean, they're just really creative guys, and I think that's the thing that kind of really pushes them, um, you know, both in life and beyond. And... Um, we're fortunate for them to trust us and kind of make the film that uh, we created. I'm curious when you were when you were talking with your co-director Lev Anderson about about, about this project. Um, how did you ultimately reach the conclusion to approach it the way you did? I, I mean, when you're when you're doing a, a film about a band, I mean, there's several different routes you can take. Uh, I mean, you can you can make a concert film. You can sort of make it all about the band and how great they are and about their success. In the case of Fishbone, you, you sort of make it a little bit about their decline as well as their, their rise to fame. How did you choose which route to go? Well, I think the route that we chose, you know, kind of came through in the editing process. And this is that when you're starting a documentary, um, you kind of have a structure in place in the sense that you write a proposal and kind of lay out the ideas and themes and kind of the narrative structure you're imagining might be out there, you know? And that's good for, you know, funding and, you know, submitting to people. But in reality, once you go start shooting, you just kind of throw the proposal out the door and you try to be open to whatever happens, you know? And so we went there and we had these kind of series of questions and things we'd explore um, and said, hey, look, this film could be these two or three different ways that um, might be appropriate and let's see what the strongest story that comes through is, you know? 
And then as you edit and you kind of start putting together these scenes, um, you, certain things kind of start floating up to the top. And I think the thing about it is it's just like my own kind of pre-natural curiosity um, to kind of like tell stories about, um, you know, this kind of creative aspiration drive you to kind of madness, you know, um, you know, when you're kind of a true groundbreaker, what are the kind of rewards and, um, I guess, prices that you pay for, you know. And in reality, it's just I wanted to, you know, follow around a bunch of kind of unusual, weird guys that, you know, are very kind of friendly and let us into their world and just kind of see what happens, you know. And through that, you get to know your characters and through that, that kind of shapes you what you want to tell. So I think a lot of the thing, information that we have in the film, whether it be about the music industry and that are a little bit more band-oriented, is there really just to kind of give you a framework to understand the people and the characters because in the end, the characters come first. Well, I mean, it's certainly a really rich group of people. And in your, your interviews, you managed to, to get them to say some pretty personal things and to really reflect about... I guess, the band and, and, and where it's gone over the past few decades. Um, how, how do you get people to, to open up um, and be so, I guess, intimate about their, their personal details? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Whenever um, I kind of think about a question like that, you know, I always wonder, it's like, hey, it's not that difficult. I, I just never <laughs> really had that problem so much. But, you know, when I look back and you deconstruct it, right, you know, um, I think a lot of it what comes down is just like a filmmaking style and approach, you know? So often with documentaries, they kind of, some documentarians take this style from like news reporters, you know, in the sense that like uh, you're kind of shoving, you know, the camera in people's faces and kind of, you know, asking all these questions, but you're never really giving anything back. It's all about just taking as much as you can from the interview and thinking about ways you can manipulate it to tell the story you want and then you, you run away. And I think that sort of approach isn't really ever going to, um, you know, get people to open up. And so when I kind of go out and, you know, do interviews, whether, I've, you know, this is the time, first time I met them or you know, I've been hanging out with them a while, it's like you treat it like a conversation, you know, in the sense that uh, you offer up information, you're responding and listening to what they say. And, you know, the better listener you are, the more likely people are going to open up because they know that, you really care about what they're saying, and it's not just about what you're getting for the film, but also just the shared experience of the conversation. And if you do that, then usually it seems that um, people will tell you these moments that you didn't even, you know, you know, even guess ahead of time um, they harbored within them. Well, you make it sound so easy, but it's actually, you know, it's actually not. I've seen quite a few documentaries that don't really have great interviews uh, with their subjects. And then uh, if you, you, you watch other documentaries like uh, from people like Werner Herzog and he claims that the reason he gets such great interviews is because he knows the heart of man. And it's just kind of like, well, we can't all know the heart of man. So how do you, how, you know, how do you? Right. How do you get that secret at first? You know, <laughs> did Werner Herzog make a lot of crappy documentaries so he's not letting us see to, so he could, <laughs> you know, uh, get to the style that he approached? Um, so, I mean, look, to be honest, we have some crappy interviews, too, that we did. I just didn't put them in the film, <laughs> you know. And when those happen, they're disappointing. I mean, sometimes crappy interviews happen because of, you know, the mood you're in, the mood the interview is in. Um, the sorts of questions you're asking. I mean, I always find it funny when somebody you're going to interview 
really has nothing to say on the topic. And you're just like, well, why did you agree to do the interview then? You know, right. Um, you know, and, but with that said, um, whenever I walk away from a not so great interview, there are things that, you know, um, I try to kind of reflect back on and learn. It's like, okay, well, why did that not turn out so well? Is it something just as simple as like, Hey, look, you know, you know, someone was having a bad day or was it my approach? You know, in the sense, like you go on, it's kind of like going out on a date, you know, you go out on a date and you don't always expect every single one to, you know, result in like you guys getting along or falling in love. And, um, so sometimes you just kind of have to change your approach to, I guess, make the other person a little bit more comfortable for they, so that they can reveal themselves. And I guess it's just kind of a long winded way of, you know, in the end, you have to give your permission, give yourself permission to fail, but also not kind of hold on to an interview so dearly to it wind up in the final film. And to then make your interviewing be a little bit more successful in the long run, a lot of it's patience. I mean, come on, you know, documentary filmmaking, there's a lot of boring stuff that happens, you know, in the sense that, like, you know, you might be standing on your feet for hours on a day just kind of being like a fly on the wall and nothing's really happening, you know. But one of the things I've learned over time is that the things that you think are important early on aren't necessarily, and things that you just said were boring and didn't have any place in the film wind up being important once you see that it's this kind of connective tissue um, to kind of explore the story characters that are happening. Well, your film um, does a really, you do a really great job of just balancing a whole lot of different elements. You, I mean, you, you, you chronicle the historical background, you, you get into the, the socio-cultural context of everything, uh, you, you document where they are now, you've got some really cool animated, uh, animated segments, and people have this idea that documentary film is supposed to be objective, but obviously it's, it's not. I mean, you are telling a subjective story based on the facts you're given um and i you know when you're crafting that that narrative how do you i mean do you ever worry that you're not fully presenting the quote-unquote truth of the matter that's a good question um well yeah i mean i mean i, I read i read one interview um that you had done where or, or, or i believe that angelo did where he said that he felt like you know some things in the film were true and other things maybe a little bit more fictional, but he was really <laughs> happy with, with, with the overall narrative. So I'm curious, I mean, when you, when you look at the film now, I mean, do you think you've, you've captured quote unquote the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll be, it'll be interesting kind of the old Angelo's comments. <laughs> I will tell you that, is that I, you know, all cast filmmaking, all documentary filmmaking is subjective. You know, you right. try, you aspire to be, as objective as you can, you know, but knowing that it's kind of a goal that you can never reach. I mean, you know, obviously there are more subjective films like Michael Moore's films or whatever, and it's like, look, I'm going to wear this on my sleeve and this is what's going to be. But when you make it a little bit more of a historical and a verite documentary, similar to what we did with Everyday Sunshine, um, all you can do is aspire to kind of really capture the spirit um, of the people, the story, and the times, you know. And as long as you feel like you successfully did that, then um, I think that's a, a good accomplishment. Uh, you know, when we're kind of, you know, in the end, you're condensing people's stories down to, you know, a movie that's 100 minutes long, you know, and um, all you can do is work towards an impressionistic per portrait, you know, and that's all that it can be. 
Um, and, you know, when you're in the editing room, you know, there are times when you're like, okay, well, let's cinch down what this person is saying and does it still maintain the kind of truth that they were trying to speak. Um, so those thought processes, um, you know, take place all throughout editing, you know. And once you see that you've lost the truth, you know that um, you just kind of go back and change it, you know, to keep it keep it what it is. Now, dealing with uh, Angela's comment is that I think a lot of where he's coming from is that um, he would like more perspectives in there. So in the sense that, you know, I think that he feels that, um, you know, it captures the truth of the situation is how both myself and my co-director Lev experienced it, you know, and um, that we're also representative of different other people's perspectives. And so I think sometimes when somebody's uh, perspective that's different than his on the situation, he kind of would say, oh, I really want my perception in there too, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's not so much of like something's fiction or creative, it's just more of like, hey, look, that guy's telling a story and that's not the way I remember it, you know. Right. And so in some ways it's like that's kind of what I hope is really cool about the film is that it is this true Rashomon sort of, you know, kind of collision of different ideas and thoughts about what happened, where it happened, and how it happened. And in some ways, that's kind of how the band Fishbone is. It's like, you know, six different perspectives of very unique guys kind of working together to create one thing. So I think that's where it's coming from. And, you know, I think truth is always important, but I guess uh, everybody's truth is a little bit different. Well, uh, to wrap up, I, I mean, a lot of our listeners might be a little bit younger. They, they might not really know a whole lot about the ska punk scene, and they might not have heard of Fishbone. I actually hadn't heard, I, I mean, I had heard of them, but I didn't know a whole lot about them until I saw your film, and it really, I, I really learned a lot from it. So I guess to, to sort of sell our listeners on why they should see the film, because I, I quite liked it, I was hoping, you know, you could just tell us what, what drew you to Fishbone? Had you always been a big fan of their music, or was there something specific about them that inspired you to, to jump on board this project? Well, I can tell you this. I wasn't familiar with Fishbone's music before starting this project. I mean, I was aware that there was this band Fishbone out there because I would see, like, the Fishbone logo on all these T-shirts and things, especially in the early 90s, you know, and in John Cusack movies, and basically a bunch of skaters and alternative, um, you know, kind of grunge sort of people would be wearing these logos, and I'm like, it's an interesting logo, you know? But other than that, I didn't know their music. And um, one day, my co-director Lev and I were talking about different sorts of documentary ideas we had, and he always thought that it would be really cool to do a documentary on Fishbone. And, of course, kind of red flag went up for me, and I was like, oh, come on, dude, most music documentaries suck, you know? And he's like, no, I agree. Most music documentaries suck because they're just they're built for fans, you know, in the sense that you need to be either familiar with the band or you have to really love them a lot or like their music. And Les felt that, um, you know, Fishbone was kind of this unique story, and so he kind of gave me the pitch. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of intriguing. So I did a little bit more research, and I think there were three things that kind of brought me into the, you know, into wanting to do a film on this band Fishbone was one is that I knew there were interesting characters, you know, all the guys in there are a little bit weirdos and they're also very disparate personalities in the sense that like no two guys are the same. So I knew that following them around would be interesting, but there was this kind of larger social history that we could explore in the film in the sense that here's these kind of like young black guys from South Central LA when like the crack epidemic and drug and, um, you know, gang warfare is going on, 
and the time that we really associate like South Central with gangster rap, you know. But here's these like six African American punk rockers, you know, that basically desegregate the entire like LA music scene by being um, these black guys that love to play punk rock, you know. And so I like that story of these outsiders, these guys that didn't really fit in the community they wanted to be a part of, and they didn't really fit back at home in South Central. And so what are the kind of um, kind of stories that imitate, emanate from being different, you know? And um, I guess in a way it's like a fish out of water story. And <clears throat> so I just wanted to follow that path. Um, with that said, is that if I didn't like their music or I thought the guys didn't do as great a live shows as they're legendary for, um, it didn't seem like it would be worthwhile pursuing this project either. And so a couple weeks later, Fishbone happened to be playing here in San Francisco where Lev and I live, and we went and checked them out. And I thought, well, these guys have been doing this for 30 years, and most bands have been around that long. Well, they just suck, you know? And within the first song, it was just electric. Uh, Angela, the lead singer, went and stage dived and was in the mosh pit, and just, like, the music was infectious. And I was like, huh, these guys are as good as everybody said they were. And that kind of cemented it's like, okay, there's a story here. I don't know what the story is, but we have the building blocks for, you know, hopefully a great film. All right, well, the film is Everyday Sunshine, the story of Fishbone. It recently opened up in L.A. Chris, uh, for our listeners that don't live in L.A., when will they be able to see the film? I'm assuming it, it will be expanding and will eventually get a DVD release, correct? That's correct. Um, so this is all a DIY punk rock um, theatrical release by myself and my co-director, Lev. Um, we opened in New York and L.A. so far. We have another 60 cities on the map that we'll be um, playing the film at through February. So if you go to our website, fishbonedocumentary.com, or look up Fishbone Documentary on Facebook, um, we try to keep up to date on screenings there. Um, obviously, we hit all the big cities like, you know, Chicago and Boston and San Francisco and Seattle. We're also hitting a lot of smaller cities, too. And if you'd like the film to come to your town, just you know, shoot us an email, and we'll do our best to bring it there. And then um, early next year, the film will be nationally broadcast on PBS and then also um, home video release on February 7th with Cinema Guild. So we'll get the film out there and, um, you know, look forward to hearing what people um, think of the film once they check it out. All right. Well, Chris, it's been great talking to you. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Most definitely, Andrew. Thanks for having me and uh, stank it up, man. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right, that was my interview with Chris Metzler about his documentary film Everyday Sunshine, the story of Fishbone. I'd like to thank Chris for coming on the show, and thanks to Sasha Berman at Shotwell Media for arranging that. Uh, there's some things you should know about the film's release if you're interested in seeing it. It is playing in limited release, and as Chris mentioned, it will be playing on PBS in 2012. To find out more about the film or see if it's playing near you, you can visit fishbonedocumentary.com. That's www.fishbonedocumentary.com. So check that out, and uh, that'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening. I'm, I'm sorry I haven't been releasing as many of these interview episodes as I'd like. We've gotten a bit behind, but don't worry. We've actually got a really great list of uh, guests lined up for the near future, so stay tuned for that. As always, you can contact the show by emailing letsgetreal at filmgeekradio.com. You can also comment on the website at www.filmgeekradio.com and uh, go there to find show notes for each episode. Don't forget, if you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes. Be sure to leave us a review. It would really help get the word out about the show and the network as a whole. And uh, if you're listening to this episode and you, you enjoyed it and you, you feel like 
tipping the network because you, we, we do like to keep things free, but we, we have costs that we need to pay for. You know, so, uh, if, if you liked it, we'd appreciate it if you could just hop on the website, uh, and, and donate a couple bucks our way. We, we really count on listeners like you to survive. And, uh, it, it we, trust me, I'm not just saying this. We, we really appreciate it. And, uh, it really does mean a lot. But uh, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode. So, uh, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Johnson, and I'll see you next time on Let's Get Real. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah.